This is the Red Culture Leadership Podcast, episode number 12. And on this episode, we have National Youth Director Josh Wellborn sharing with us. I am Jacob Johnson, and here at the Red Culture Leadership Podcast, we are on a mission to equip and encourage leaders in student ministry. Today, we have Josh Wellborn to start this interview. Hey guys, before we really dive into this week's podcast, uh, I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, It's a little bit of a different style and format than what we've done in the past. In fact, this is actually Josh speaking at our merge conference back in October, but he had such great uh, things to share with us and just great ideas that we wanted to turn it into a podcast. We had a recording of it. And so we wanted to post that for you guys online and thought the podcast would be the best format for that. So without further ado, here's Josh Wellborn's talk at the Merge Conference. You guys want to give Josh an Iowa welcome? Thanks, Adam. I'm in Iowa. I didn't know if you were going to introduce me as the new Heath Adamson or not. I thought that might give some uh, uh, relevance to uh, why I'm here. Man, you got the three. You got the big three. Relationship. Uh, which I would, I would describe as better together. So better together, missions, and leadership development. I want the best youth pastors in the, in the evangelical world to come out of the assemblies of God because I believe that we have that capacity. I believe that, uh, that our Pentecost brings, if Pentecost brings power, then let's let it be demonstrated in our ability to, to cultivate and develop leadership uh, within, our, within our churches. There are so many things I would love to talk to you about today. So I really, uh, because of limited time and because of limited, just everything, I've kind of zeroed in on this sort of prayer principle. And uh, Matt Wozbinski, have you, did, did I ever talk about this when you were in Michigan? Well, I did have that graphic in Michigan. I don't know if you ever heard me talk about this one. Um, So can we just start with some interaction? I'll tell a little bit about myself, and then I'm going to ask you a question. I'll tell you what the question is, then I'll tell you about myself, and then I'll throw it back to you. So the question is, what does momentum in ministry look like? Like boots on the ground, rubber meets the road. How do you know? How do you identify? How do your leaders, how does your pastor, how do your board members, of your church identify when you've got momentum in your ministry. So that question's coming your way, so think about it for just a few minutes. A little background on me. Uh, I was a 40-year-old youth pastor, stacking chairs, picking up trash, uh, things like that, when I got invited to go to the district office. So I came in a little older than some of the other district youth directors. Uh, I was only district youth director for two and a half years. So in the national landscape, I'm looking at other DYDs going, I don't know, you do your job better than I ever knew how. But here's something I do know. I do know youth ministry. The, the, I accepted the call to youth ministry after spending eight years um, pursuing a broadcasting career. I went into radio at the age of 18. I was just like, just begging, pleading, and stealing, not literally stealing, but just begging to be on the Christian radio station in my town. Uh, So they gave me a job at 18 years old, midnight to 6 a.m. That's what I did my freshman year in college. I did not get good grades that year. But that eventually developed into a show in the evenings for teenagers. And I knew, like many of you, 
I knew from the time I was 14 years old that I was called to be a youth pastor. But my 19, 20, 21, some of my friends that I'd cried with at youth camp, some of my friends that I prayed with at youth camp that said they were called to be youth pastors were already doing it. And here I am doing a radio show, playing DC Talk Jesus Freak and Jars of Clay and Striper and you know all these 80s uh, and early 90s Christian rock bands. And I told the Lord what my youth ministry was. Like, you guys all know what's wrong with that, right? Like, God, I, I got a youth ministry at 10,000, and they're all listening to me on the radio. And this was in Springfield, Missouri, you know, buckle of the Bible belt. We got all these Christian colleges at the time. Now one of them's gone. God bless you, CBC. Um, uh, are you a CBC guy? Okay. Um, well, I just saw him cross himself. I don't, know, I don't know if that's the protocol for CBC students when you mentioned uh, CBC. So I found myself really com in compromised obedience, which for those of you parents that are parents of small children, you know that compromised obedience is disobedience. And so I was really in disobedience, and it was my youth pastor, because I was, so I was a volunteer youth leader, just trying to pacify this, this call, this... Um, uh, it, it's a pull, right? Like those of you that are in youth ministry know exactly what I'm talking about. Like you can't get away from it. It's an addiction, you know, and sometimes you want to quit and you don't know how, right? And that's because the Holy Spirit won't let you quit and you shouldn't. And I was fighting it. And so I'll, I'll be a volunteer youth leader at my church, Lord. Plus there was this really pretty girl named Jennifer that was a youth leader and I wanted to be around her. She's my wife now. Um, <laughs> I just made the connection. I'm only a youth pastor because I was trying to meet my wife. Um, <laughs> um, but, but seriously, I was in a meeting with the youth pastor. He's interviewing me to be a youth leader. And he's just asking me questions. And he goes, are you called to be a full-time youth pastor? Now, I was trying to say no, Right? Like, I'm trying to say, well, you know, I'm on the radio. I don't know if you heard my radio show. It's kind of popular. And, you know, I actually had a TV show at the time, and nobody watched it. Uh, it didn't last very long. And, and, and the only thing that would come out of my mouth was yes. And, like, I'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit since I was nine years old. This was, this was different than speaking in tongues even, but very similar in that the Holy Spirit just gave me a glass of oil, a moment where it just came out, yes. And he was like, well, then what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'd already graduated from college. I had a degree in media, um, working in my field and freelancing as much as I could. I mean, it was just, yes, that's what I'm called to do. So from that point forward, I never looked back. Never, you know, there were, Thursday morning felt like quitting, reminded me of that. I just remember, all I had to do is remember that moment of yes, and it was another yes. Um, I got let go from a position in 2003 for, I didn't do anything, it just wasn't a good fit. And some of you know what that's like. How do you explain that to the congregation? Well, you don't. You say, we've heard from God. Uh, you mean Pastor Kevin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but God's speaking to us through Pastor Kevin. And I have a great relationship with Pastor Kevin to this day. Um, but walking away from that going, the answer's still yes, Lord. 
you know, and then that's when I went to Michigan. That was uh, Seattle, Washington, 2003. I went to Michigan in 2003. Uh, the pastor there, uh, I, I was like, Lord, I don't really want to do this, but I don't want to be disobedient to you. And the pastor calls me. It was Jim Wiegand. I don't know if you ever met him. He's one of our presbyters in Michigan. I'm going to look at Matt and Ashley a lot because it's so good to see them. They were youth pastors. Actually, you were, volu- you were a volunteer intern the first time I met you at Midland. And so it's really cool to see them on their journey and now with a baby. So excited for you guys. Um, and so uh, that journey led me to Michigan because I just kept saying yes. So the theme of my life is just saying yes to Jesus. And now, and it really was when I was a teenager and there was just... I, I've always been a Christian. Like, I don't have a cool testimony other than the Lord's just protected me from a lot. You know, I had good Christian parents. I I had good youth pastors. I had good youth leaders. I had youth leaders that would call me out when I would use the Christian profanity. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to use any of it here, but do you guys know what I mean when I say Christian profanity? Like, not the real swear words, but the stuff that even, you know, stuff that would really tick off the homeschool parents. You know, I I had youth leaders that would steer me back into the fold even when I would do that. So I had a very, you know, you might say sheltered, but really that was the Lord just keeping me on the path that he had for me. And I just love him not just for that, but it really cultivated in my heart just a love for Jesus. So when it came time to say yes to go to Michigan, it was easy. Yes, we'll go. When it came time to go to the district office, yes, we'll go. When it came time to go to the national office, well, I'm no Heath Adamson. I don't fit the profile. That guy's a genius. He's the smartest guy in every room he walks into, and I'm just the guy that everybody knows his name because he can't stop talking. And the, national, and the general superintendent, Doug Clay, said, Josh, I need somebody that can cultivate relationships across our f- fellowship. I'm like, oh, so I don't have to be a genius? Okay, well, let's go. And so here we are, Better Together Missions, because that's the reason I stayed in the Assemblies of God. Like I, when I was ready to go, because um, I saw Willow Creek on TV. Some of you know that name, Willow Creek, Chicago. That once upon a time, that was like the new thing that everybody was talking about. Now it's, it's different things, but... I was like, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to join Willow Creek because people are getting saved there and I want to be part of a, an evangelistic movement. It was our commitment to global missions that kept me in our fellowship. It's the reason our fellowship exists, is to facilitate missionaries globally. There is a strategic plan in Assemblies of God World Missions to reach every person on the planet with the gospel message. That, for that reason alone, I stayed in the Assemblies of God at the age of 24. And then the third thing would just be leadership development. I was able to be a youth pastor until I was 40 years old in the trenches. Uh, Not many people are able to do that. Um, Those of you that are sort of approaching that mid-30s number, you're starting to notice some of your friends are taking churches. Some of your friends are planting churches. Some of your friends are going to get their master's degree so they can go teach. I'm not saying, my challenge to you is to say yes to Jesus no matter what. I'm just saying my journey kept me in the trenches until 40 years old, and I came out of it loving this career or this side hustle or whatever it is for you. For me, it was a career. Like, God, if I'm going to leave behind this whole broadcasting journey, like, I'm not going in this to do it as a side hustle. I was bivocational for a season, so I had to support my ministry, but it was always about doing the ministry. It was always about reaching teenagers. It was always about making a difference because my youth pastor, and this is where we're going to get into the theme, my youth pastor and my DYD told me that if we would be faithful, if we would go, if we would tell that God could save my school that revival would come to my community. And I graduated from high school, very disappointed because God didn't save my school. Seriously. I thought, well, I don't want to do that for teenagers. That was part of my 
part of my wayward journey. It was just like, I don't want to, I don't want to give false hope. And then I would start hearing, and then Facebook comes along. And I saw people that I went to high school with that I prayed over. And I don't know if anybody remembers on Facebook, it used to be that you would put your religion on the profile. And I saw how many of them put Christian. And I'd reach out to them and be like, hey, I saw your thing, you're a Christian. Yeah, this cool thing happened where my wife took me to our Catholic church. And I don't know what, I, like, it's a charismatic service. This is, this is the guy that was the new age crystal wearing goth in our drama class, uh, Gene Baldy. And he, he, he used the word Christian. He said, I'm a Christian now. My wife took me to uh, this charismatic Catholic service. And then Jason Mummert, who was across the street from me. And I literally remember being parked in my car, listening to Keith Green, weeping that Jason would get saved, is now serving the Lord as a mall manager somewhere in Iowa, as a matter of fact. I can't remember where. Uh, one of the Simon Mall properties. And then, not, th uh, not three months ago, I go to James River Church in Springfield, Missouri, which is the, the, the town where I grew up. And I'm making my way down the aisle to sit next to my family because I was late, as usual. And I see these tattoo sleeves. I was like, oh, I've seen them. <gasps> And it was a guy that I'd graduated, he graduated two years behind me. I used to give him rides home from school. I used to witness to him. I used to try and get him to come to church with me. And I was a senior, he was a sophomore. When he was a senior, he was student body president and was in a rock band that I would see him at these clubs that, that uh, you know, were, were doing like these Christian bands. I don't know if you remember in the mid 90s, there were a lot of Christian bands doing the, the club scene. And in Springfield, we would get permission from the, from the vice president of student affairs at Evangel to go see these Christian bands. But I remember seeing Jeff, so I saw him there. Then about four years ago, I see Jeff at a gas station in Nashville. I'm like, Jeff! He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm taking my family to Florida. Like literally just ran into him in a gas station on a probably a 17-hour road trip. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm trying to be a country music singer. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And he gives me one of his CDs. We put it in the CD player in the minivan driving to Florida. And, and like a, a word that came up on one of the songs was not appropriate. And uh, one of my sons goes, dad, is he a Christian? And I hit eject. I'm like, no, but let's pray for him. We prayed for him. My kids remember this. And then three months ago, all six of us sat in the same row with that guy that we prayed for. And as soon as he saw me, he's like, oh, I got to talk to you. <laughs> and then afterwards, he's weeping, telling me about his salvation story. He's like, I just got saved last week. Somebody brought me here. I was home visiting my family and someone that it was a crazy, like, like the ex-wife of his, or, or, or his, his girlfriend's ex-husband invited him to church. Like crazy, Jerry Springer story, and this guy's getting saved. My point in telling this, people from my high school, and my wife, I didn't even tell her testimony. Someone, in, she went to my high school, someone invited her to church when she was a sophomore in college, living in the sorority house with a fake ID, ends up in a bar. Someone sees her, and then later, they get their life right, they invite her, she gets saved. My point is, let's keep telling students that God can save their whole school. But it's a journey. Is it going to happen? We have to, we cannot undermine process. Like we just have to allow for the process of the Holy Spirit. Just because we don't see it happening doesn't mean it's not happening. There is momentum taking place. I'll say one more thing and then I'm going to throw it to you because I want to know how you identify momentum in youth ministry. In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins talks about the principle of the flywheel. 
He identifies companies that went from being good companies to being great companies. Some of those companies no longer exist uh, because there's just a natural life cycle for corporations. There's not a natural life, well, there is not a death cycle for the, the mission that you and I are called to. However, I believe this, this flywheel principle is really valuable. Now a flywheel, the best way for me to describe it to a non-mechanical person, if you've ever seen somebody pulling the ripcord on a lawnmower, I used to be that kid pulling the ripcord on the lawnmower, and we had an old lawnmower in the 1980s, and I could never get it started. Pull, pull, pull. Finally, boom, yanking my shoulder out of socket. The thing starts, right? Eventually it starts. That mechanism that is spinning at that point is the flywheel of that motor. Once that flywheel starts spinning, the spark plugs engage, fuel begins to flow, the blade starts spinning, and you've got a working combustion engine, all because you are pushing on that flywheel. Jim Collins says, what are the principles in your business, or in our case, in your organization, that you are pushing on with faithfulness consistently until momentum engages? For me, in the church, how could it be anything other than prayer? Well, prayer is this very broad spectrum of, of activity, right? We have focused prayer, I would say. So we're going to talk about focused prayer and how focused prayer can be a momentum engine that even when we don't see the obvious signs of momentum, for faithful, for faithful, eventually will engage with some serious speed, just like that lawnmower. All right, throwing it back to you. What does momentum look like? And let's maybe localize it to youth ministry. When students are serving, very good. Yes. So because we're recording this, I'll repeat some of it. When you said when students are showing up to serve, to set up, they're getting there early because they believe in what's happening, that is a sign of momentum. That's really good. Very good. Somebody else, what does momentum look like? Yes, when they're engaging with what you're teaching, they're applying it to their lives. Very good. Somebody else? You know what? We'll just do the microphone. How about that? <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Um, when, they're, when students are encouraging each other, that's how we feel. that they're, When they're speaking to each other and praying each other up, then we know that they're really engaged. It's not just the youth pastor. It's other students. So good. Somebody had their hand over here. Yeah, so when students are praying for other students that are like coming down to receive something from the Lord, um, that's one case of momentum that we've seen. And also students that are bringing their friends from their school. So, so good, so good. Over here. I was going to say when uh, we had this small group at our church and it was first started by our youth pastor, one of our youth leaders, but now it's, when I view, when you said momentum, I mean, now it's kind of our group now, and we're reaching out to others, and we're widening the circle. So I think when when leaders, you know, when we have our leaders step out and start something, when our students are able to take it over and reproduce from that as well. Love it. So good. Over here. 
for me, my momentum is where uh, I'm out in the community and the students come to me and say, hey, is youth group still going on this Wednesday or when's the next event that we're going to? Is that they are engaging into coming other than me asking, hey, where you been? They're asking, yeah. when, when's the next one going to happen? Yeah, there's an enthusiasm. It's so good. So good. Anybody else? These are all, these are all wonderfully healthy answers, by the way. When you're, when you're actually transferring the anointing from that God has on you into the lives of the young people in, in the community. Love it. So good. Now, okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's ask this question just because I think it's important for us to... There's no elephant in this room, but there's an elephant in youth ministry that's in a room with some of the people you get in with. And so I don't want to pick on, you know, a board member or a parent or your lead pastor or somebody. What are some of the superficial things that people would say, well, why isn't this happening? And if that were happening, we would know there's momentum. I'll just throw out the first one. I felt tremendous pressure in certain settings to produce numbers. Like I, I've, we, I, I went, I ended up on staff at a church, Mount Hope Church in Lansing. Um, you've been in that youth room, Matt. It's huge. Uh, you could have 2,000 people in there and it still wouldn't feel full. I felt tremendous pressure to fill that room. <laughs> and I would say uh, there would be some voices in that church that would say, well, we know there's momentum in spin, that's the name of the ministry, because the room is full. There's attendance numbers. So, so I'm not really sure how to frame that question. Maybe I should have given it more thought before presuming to lead a workshop. Uh, but, but what would you say are some of the superficial pressures that you feel as a leader, uh, whether you're volunteer, paid, partially paid, uh, whatever, what are some of the superficial pressures that you feel like you need to be a part of producing in order to maybe prove that there's momentum? Uh, so honestly, like documentation. So like the post, like posting on social media, uh, or like, um, like seeing. Oh, we just had this big event. Like, what, what, what all happened from that? Can I see a video? Can I see? It? And I'm like, I, I was running it. I didn't have time to do that. <laughs> so, or wh why didn't you post about what happened last night? Like, I heard it was an awesome night, but why? How come I didn't see a video? Or and I'm like, yeah. I, I don't. I, I, I can't do that. It's not. It's not what's most important for me. And so, that's a really good answer. Yeah. Yeah, where's the proof? <laughs> where's the proof? Right up here. I think that we get pressure for doing certain events. You know, like, this is what we've done this before. When are we going to do this again? And it might be something that's not a part of the vision anymore. And, it, you know, we, we run into, like, for example, uh, when are we going to do tip night at Pizza Ranch? And it's like, well, I don't... I don't. Work. It didn't work. That, well, yeah, that's, that's why. We, but we get pressure from people because they want to. You know, they think that we should keep doing the things we've done before. That's good. Wow. Yeah. Especially the, those of you that have maybe taken over a, a youth ministry with some history. For sometimes it's um, you don't have the kids that come on Sunday, but they come on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So they're like, why aren't they here on Sunday? Right. Well, maybe their church doesn't offer something on Wednesday for them, so they come to us on Wednesday, but they're still in a church on Sunday. Wow, these are really good, you guys. <laughs> the reason I had to bring these up is because later you'll think about it and be like, well, I mean, is it okay that I feel this way? I don't know. I mean, should I? It's like good behavior, making sure students are behaving like Christians. Oh, man, yes. Yes. I remember the day my pastor um, in Fenton uh, invited me over to his house and told me he was looking for a new youth pastor. 
Uh, and he said, but the good news is, he said, but he says, so that's the bad news. He goes, the good news is you're the first candidate. And I'm like, oh, well, is this a game? <laughs> like, are you tricking me? Because I'm not feeling good about this game. And what it came down to was he was unhappy with the level of security that we were providing for the building and for our students when they were there. And he was right. Uh, he helped me with that. The next week, there were about six guys from the men's ministry that helped us with security. You know, and he was justified. Just to put it in perspective, my Thursday routine was to walk around the building and look for drug paraphernalia and trash. Like I needed to create a safer environment for students. I was a young youth pastor, and I had a pastor who cared enough about me to help walk me through that. So that was a valuable, valuable lesson. Did somebody have their hand up over here? Okay. Well, like I said, I wanted to mention good and bad. So, so when I was trying to find momentum in ministry, I... Again, this is after doing youth ministry, either as a volunteer, a bivocational leader, and a, uh, a full-time guy. I'd been at three different churches, one that was pretty small, one that was kind of smallish but grew big, and then another one that was just historically big, kind of the, the mega church type of dynamic, but not it had seen better days, and they wanted that momentum back. And so I'm going, okay, Lord, I've done the big events. I've done the gimmicky stuff. Not, not because I, just, just through years of experience, you just try different things. Uh, at one point, and when I say gimmicky stuff, at one point, I told my wife, I said, I feel like the Lord's telling us to give a car away. And she goes, I don't know, that sounds pretty gimmicky. And you told me you weren't going to go for the low-hanging fruit this year. And I'm like, well, I think it's the Lord. Well, then that night, we sat down at dinner at a banquet at our church. It was a fundraising banquet for our next level capital fundraising campaign. And the guy sitting next to me, I'd never met before. But he literally said to me, have you ever thought about giving a car away? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. And he said, if I, and he owned a muffler shop. He said, sometimes I get an old junker in that somebody can't afford the repairs on and they just sign over the title. And then my buddies and I, cause he's like, I'm friends with the auto mechanic. I'm friends with the body shop. I'm friends with the wheel, uh, tire and wheel shop. We just will, we'll, we'll fix it for free. And then I'll give it to like a single mom or someone that's in need. And, uh, he said, and I was thinking, he goes, have you seen that show pimp my ride on MTV? And I'm like, no, I don't watch MTV. I'm just kidding. I would seen it. And so I was like, yeah, I've seen pimp my ride. He goes, what if we did a pimp my ride and we bless some teenager with a cool, set of wheels. I'm like, that would be awesome. So we built this whole series out of it. It was called Free Ride, and it was just messages on grace and how God can take something junky and fix it up and make it beautiful and amazing. We did a random drawing for a winner, and on the first drawing, the kid who won, because oftentimes, if you ever do like a, a drawing in your church, you'll draw it, uh, and, and it, if, especially if you use like the raffle tickets, you'll call out the number five, six, three, four, seven, one. Anybody? Five, six, seven, four, three, four, seven. Anybody? Nobody? Okay, next one. And I was terrified of that. And it was so, we did it over the course of six weeks. The t three, two of the three local networks showed up to video it. Uh, the front, it was on the front page of the Flint Journal the next day and the Tri-County Times. And in a, I was just terrified. And so I'm just praying in the spirit, just like, God, please let this be a blessing to somebody. If this car ends up wrapped around a telephone pole because some kid got high in it the next night, I am going to be so angry and I'm not sure where that's going to leave my faith. Well, the kid who won on the day that my son was born, I, my second son, I saw him in the hospital because his mother had just passed away. 
And I was, here I am celebrating new life and here he is mourning his mother. And I knew she was sick because the church had kind of adopted this family and we brought him groceries and we were praying for healing and his father was already gone. And so here he is an orphan and there were four families in the church, including ours, that said, we will adopt you. So in that day, he's going, I'm supposed to pick the family I want to live with. And I'm like, well, Josh, his name's Josh. I'm like, Josh, this, this church will be your family. I said, and, and I'm going to tear up because this is, this is special. I was like, Josh, when you're ready, he was about 15 years old. I'm like, when you're ready to buy a car, I'll make sure you get a car. When you're ready to go to college, I'll make sure you go to college. My, Jennifer and I are already paying for you to go to camp. And when you're ready to, you know, just, I was just like, we'll be your family. We'll take care of you. Don't worry about a thing. But let's just, let's, let's just cry about your mom right now. You know, that kind of thing. And you already guessed it. I pulled the ticket and here comes Josh Wood. <laughs> I'm balling on stage. It's the biggest event of my youth ministry career. There's videos on my YouTube page about it that I keep posted because it was the ultimate, it was like spiritual, like marketing, um, uh, big turnout, you know, right? I mean, the, the pastor could not be more thrilled, you know, right? And, and, and so did I feel pressure to reproduce what had been done before? You bet I did. <laughs> That was 10 years ago, and that youth ministry just this summer or this fall redid that event after that many years. I say all that to say, then I went to another church, and that would have been the medium church that grew. When I got to the big church, it was like, all right, do what you did before. And I'm like, I didn't do it. God, God did it. You know, and you know it was God, you know? And, and so I found this biblical model. So we're looking at Jesus. I'm looking at Jesus. I'm going to walk you through this. We're only supposed to go another, I'm going to go about another 10 minutes, if that's okay. So I'm going to walk you through this relatively quickly. Those of you who come back for the next session, that will be more of a time when we can unpack and Q&A. Also in that next session, in the next session, we will talk about the 100 ideas for youth workers, um, which is always a fun session to do because we really get into some of the pragmatics and nuts and bolts. This is more of a spiritual lesson. Let's walk through the ministry of Jesus. Let's look at the flywheel that he he was pressing on, and then let's look at the momentum. Well, I, I think we all know the momentum that Jesus created, right? Worldwide, Christianity, you know, in all of its forms, it's a global revolution. You and I are here today because of the momentum that was generated in first century Palestine by a Jewish mystic carpenter and his followers, right? Like we see the momentum, but let's look at where it started. So um, in the in the model that you see on the screen in front of you, let's start with commitment. I would just, I think the verses are actually on that card. Uh, can I have one of those cards so that I can reference it? Do you have one to share with? Uh, okay, you've got, okay, they've got, we're good. They've got one to share. So Jesus starts his public ministry with 40 days of prayer and fasting. Hopefully you've all heard that lesson before. Maybe some of you have taught it. But before Jesus ever does a miracle or preaches a sermon or calls his disciples to follow him, he's got 40 days of prayer and fasting. Now, before you ever became Pastor Matt or Pastor Josh or Pastor Jacob or whatever uh, title you carry as director or uh, volunteer youth worker or sponsor or chaperone or whatever the terms are, before that ever came, there had to be a season where you were growing in your commitment to the Father, 
right? Like all of us, I mean, I hope I'm not alone. I can point to very spiritually immature places in my life where I had no business leading anybody anywhere. But the Lord took me through a season of commitment. For me, it was a formal discipleship class where I was memorizing scripture. I was uh, disciplining uh, myself to read to read and study the Bible every day and, and, and learning how to pray. How do you spend an hour in prayer? I can't, I can never do that. My youth pastor walked me through how to do that. So there was this season of commitment and the same was true for Jesus. He's in 40 days of fasting. It's, it's temptation, right? It's fasting. It's denying the flesh. And then that's in Matthew chapter four. Then later in Matthew chapter four, he, then he reproduces. Then it becomes about the lost. Then it becomes about bringing a team around him. You see, you can't start bringing a team around you until you've had your season or moment or whatever of commitment. Where is your commitment to the Father grown? Where are you spending time growing? Are you in love with Jesus? Well, it's been fading. I don't spend as much time in prayer as I should or I used to. Well, then take some time every day to do that. It doesn't have to be 40 days. Well, I need to take a break for 40 days from the ministry, Pastor. I can't really lead the ministry until I've had 40 days of prayer and fasting. Well, we've got a couple of Wednesday nights between now and then, so I'm going to need you to show up for work and get it done. Yes, so it doesn't have to be 40 days, but certainly there needs to be time every day that you pray on the flywheel, pushing with an attitude and a focus of commitment. Lord, you know I'm committed to you. This is where, this is where you're studying scripture. This is where you're doing the work that is preparing for a sermon whether it's taking the content from, uh, and we're trying to create content in the national office because we want to have, uh, we want biblical literacy to, to be one of the marks of our healthy youth pastors in the assemblies of God. So we're gonna be providing content. So I don't think there's anything wrong with taking someone else's content and learning it, but you're actually doing the work to study it, to understand it, to get it in your heart and understand how it's helping to you to grow as a Christian before you can take it to reproducing. And so in Jesus's ministry, he goes from this season of commitment into a season of reproducing. And you know the stories. In fact, Jeff Leake preached on it last night. Luke chapter five, he says, the disciples follow me and I'll make you, or he says to Peter, Peter says, I'm a sinful man, go away from me. Nope. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. We're going to go fish for people. And what did it say in Luke chapter five, verse 11? Do you remember that last night? He didn't put a lot of emphasis on that, but I like the way it was worded in whatever translation he was using. It says they, took, they, they left everything on the shore. They left their boats on the shore. They left their nets on the shore and they followed him because the commitment that Jesus had to the father was worth following. So he's reproducing. For us, reproducing might be evangelism, right? We're saying to students, even non-believers, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. It's gonna be an adventure. It's gonna be awesome. You know, he was the omnipotent, uh, omniscient uh, son of God, uh, God incarnate. So he knew what was in store for them. He's like, this is going to be a fun ride. Follow me. This is going to be awesome. So he's reproducing. And then what happens in the journey with the disciples? Well, by Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives them authority. First, he sends out the 12. You guys remember this from Matthew, from the Gospels? He sends out the 12 and he says, go to the different towns. Don't take a change of clothes with you. You don't even take money with you because people are gonna take care of you. And stay in that town until, until it's time to go. And if, if a town rejects you, you know, shake the dust off your feet, you know, no, no harm, no foul, but you guys are missing the good word that Jesus gave us to give you. So see you later. We're off to the next town where they're gonna receive it. They're becoming more. Jesus' ministry is getting popular. When he goes into the city, he, large crowds are following him. He's becoming more. 
See, it's okay for you to have a vision for your ministry becoming more. And don't get resentful when you see another ministry becoming more and yours is not. That's just a season that they're in and you're not. So focus on the season that you are in. See, I don't think, I remember being so confused as a youth pastor going, well, are we just going to focus on the word of God and growing in knowledge and depth of insight? Because I heard other youth pastors saying that. We're not really about that mega stuff. We're, about, we're all about memorizing scripture and hiding God's word. We're all about discipleship. Okay, I want to be about that. And truly, I did. I want to be about that. But then I'd hear about a big outreach where, you know, 100 kids got saved in, in, uh, at Cornerstone Church in Highland, Michigan, and I was only 20 minutes up the road in Fenton. I'm like, well, I would love for 100 kids to get saved. How awesome would that be? What a difference would that make at Fenton High School if 100 kids got saved? Lord, I do want that. Well, but is that not okay? Because I had said that we were all about discipleship. Now we're talking about evangelism. And then you talk to the guy. It's just like, it's just an honor to serve. Like, I, I don't even, I don't, you know, the, I wrote a book, but I didn't put my name on it. I just, you know, or, or whatever the humble thing is, right? Because now we're getting into becoming less. Let me talk to you about becoming less. So the disciples go out, and then he sends the 72 out. Do you guys remember this? Uh, it's on, the, the verse of passage is on, and I'm going through this relatively quickly. Matthew chapter 10, uh, he sends out the 12, and then he sends out the 72. He, they come back. They come back from this, from this adventure, and uh, let me just look up this passage very, very quickly for you, because I want to read it to you from Scripture. So in, uh, Luke actually records it a little bit differently than the other Gospels. There's a little bit more detail, so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10. It says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us in your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, do you think Jesus literally saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning? I mean, maybe, I don't, I mean, it's possible, it's in the Bible, so sure, but I don't think that was the case. My interpretation of that would be, this was just part of the vernacular of being one of the guys that gets to hang out with Jesus. Like, do you and your friends have your own vernacular? Like, you see the words that teenagers are using, do you guys know what the words they are using right now? Like, a couple years ago, it was lit, oh, that's lit, that's so lit, you know, what is it? Yeet? I don't even know that one. Yeet? Okay. Don't even know that one. I've seen fire a lot lately. Like, dude, those sneakers are fire. Savage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this was just part of the vernacular of being one of the disciples. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know, they're chest bumping, they're high-fiving. Lord, even the demons, even the demons obeyed us when we spoke in your name. And they're high-fiving. It's a glory moment. It is a become more moment. This is okay. It's not a pride moment unless you stay there. Unless you stay there. Unless you say, oh, now did Jesus say, all right, boys, let's go back and do it again next week. Did he say, um, you know, did, 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 the, did the Pharisees stand around going, okay, all right, we see some miracles happen. All right, well, if you can do it again, you know, if you can go back next Wednesday night and then the demons obey you, all right, get back to work. No. What did he say? This is really important because after this glory moment, this is Jesus' response. I'll jump ahead to verse 21. He prays. He's like, all right, guys, we're going to pray. And you can see the disciples. They, maybe they're circling up, holding hands. And they got that rush. You know the rush. You felt it after a good Wednesday night or after a big outreach. I hope you have, because it's fun. It's fun when God does what he puts, you know, you have a vision in your heart and then you see it happen. Woo! 
Satan's fallen from heaven. The demons are obeying. And we're going to win this whole town for Jesus. All right, Jesus, let's pray. All right. He's, Peter's like, he's probably going to thank God for me first. I know. Rock. Hello. Upon this rock, I will build my church. You guys know he's going to pray for me first. And then Jesus prays an interesting prayer. Oh, Father. Yes, oh, Father. Lord of heaven. Yes, Lord of heaven and earth. Thank you for hiding those, hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Yes, thank you, Lord, for hiding those things from those who think themselves wise and clever. Okay, I don't know where you're going with this prayer, Jesus. And for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, and for revealing, revealing them to the... What is he praying? Like, you know the culture. You guys are all students of the New Testament. Like, the children were like, they were like way down here. They're like down there with blind Bartimaeus, the beggar, right? See, that's not till later in the gospel that they learn that little lesson about children and blind people coming to Jesus. They're going, okay, what's he going to say next? Women, right? And Jesus says, yes, Father, it pleased you to do this way. You see, his immediate response to the glory was humility. His immediate response to glory was, Lord, make me childlike. Lord, these disciples just had the high-five, chest-bumping, Satan falling from heaven like fire. They're stoked. They're lit. They're on fire. They're yeet, whatever you said over there. And now, guys, we're going to humble ourselves. You see this again with the disciples. They're going from town to town. All right, Jesus is here. Everybody back up. Let the children come to me. Oh, oh, okay, let the children come to me, right? He, Lord wants to see the children. Bring all the children in. It's okay for kids to come to Jesus now. I know it's weird, but that's what we're going to do today. Blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, blind man. It's a beggar, Lord. Just please ignore him. Oh, you want him to come? Cheer up, friend. Mark chapter 10. Cheer up, friend. He wants to talk to you. Right? See, they're going on the adventure of a lifetime. The feeding of the 5,000. And then... Uh, And then in Matthew 18, they're saying things like, all right, Lord, we see this happening. You're doing the miracles. You're feeding people. You know, they're talking about you up in, uh, up in Galilee now, right? Remember that place where you had no honor? They're talking now. Hey, Lord, I, I know that we're all like part of this team together, but who's the greatest? Who's the greatest among us? That's what they asked in in uh, Matthew chapter 18. And what does Jesus say? Back to the children. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Humility. It's the full circle journey of being a disciple. We need to be committed. For some of you, that was master's commission. For some of you, it was Bible college. For some of you, it was a school of ministry. Commitment. You're preparing to do the ministry. You're growing in your knowledge and depth of insight of, 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 of scripture. You're spending time studying the different commentaries. You're taking your sermon notes to your pastor and saying, hey, will you walk through this with me? Make sure I'm theologically correct. Make sure I'm doing the right thing here. You're, you're in a season or a moment of commitment, and it's for the purpose of reproducing. You're saying, you're doing this commitment stuff so that you can say to other students, as Paul said to Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. And you're reproducing and they're getting saved and you're doing evangelism and they're coming. And when you do that, the natural result is to become more because God will bless whatever that is. If you're committed, if you're committed for the sake of the lost, God's going to bless it. 
Now, that looks like different things for different people, right? I'm not promising you're all going to have, you're going to have 500 teenagers on Wednesday night. No, like you're going to have exactly what God wants you to grow and disciple and cultivate and say, follow me as I follow Christ to. And then when, when you see it happen, every moment, every new salvation, every new volunteer leader, every big event that goes the way it's supposed to or it doesn't, your response should always be to become less and to pray that prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing this. Please help me to have a childlike heart. Please help me to be humble. I want to humble my heart before you because scripture taught at least three times in the New Testament, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. So you see how this is the prayer engine that will facilitate momentum. And I hope it starts spinning very, very fast for you and it's exciting and fun. But when it's not, you can still have this prayer focus of this attitude of the heart. This was one of the most encouraging things to me as a youth pastor. Because the momentum of giving cars away and having a huge turnout, it doesn't stay, you know? Or if I saw what it would take to keep that, it's like, eh, you've heard the expression, what it takes to draw students in, you're going to have to keep doing to keep them in. I mean, if you're just going to gimmick students into your youth ministry, you're going to have to gimmick them all the way into heaven. And it doesn't work. It just doesn't. Now, here's the problem if you stay camped out on any one of these things. Because I, I think my assumption was, if I just figure out how to focus, God's going to help me do this. Well, yeah, it's a focus, but it's a, it's, a, it's a divided focus. It's going from one thing to the next. Those who get hung up on commit, these are the theology snobs. Well, we teach Bible better than any other church in town. You know, it might be true, and, and there's nothing wrong with saying, well, we hang our hat on theology, right? These are the sermon junkies. These are the people who would say, uh, you know, well, why do you go to church here? Because I love God, bless God. Oh, do you like it? It's not about liking it. I'm just faithful. I'm here. I'm committed. Okay, well, we don't want to get stuck there. Let's let our commitment cultivate in us a heart to reproduce. Let's let God do something alive in us during our commitment that we can say to others, God's done something amazing in me and I want to see him do it in your life. Have you, do you know about Jesus? Do you know the gospel? To reproduce. Now, we all know what happens to the folks who camp out on evangelism, right? You get a mile wide and an inch deep, right? We don't want that either. So let's not camp out there. Let's become more. Like, what does God want? He wants to grow. He wants to grow us wide, but also deep. Remember that song? Deep and wide, deep and wide, right? He wants us to understand doctrine. He wants us to, to, to grow in new intimacies with the, with the Father. He wants us to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to pray in that prayer language so that new and wonderful things will take place that he's in control of and, and we're not. We're just willing vessels. That's becoming more. And when we see it happening, now again, if you camp out on becoming more, you're going to have to keep doing whatever it is you're doing to draw them in. You're going to have to do it all the way to heaven. And then you, in humility, say, Lord, we made the horse ready for the day of battle, Proverbs, but victory rests in your hands. So Lord, may we never think that the victory is because of us and because of our smart systems and our awesome youth facility and our ability to raise millions of dollars. Lord, we humble ourselves right now and trust that you'll keep doing something new in us. Now, see, you can't stay there either because you really can humble yourself to the point of obscurity. Don't be afraid to get up in the spotlight, take the microphone, and be everything that God called you to be. 
For some of you, you've got, and this is true with a lot of youth pastors, and if you're not this way, sometimes it feels like everybody but you is this way. Some of you are hysterical. You could have been stand-up comedians, and God's going to use that to become more right? So let's use it. Some of you are gifted musicians. Become more in that. Some of you are awesome at fine arts and teaching students how to do this or that. Some of you are stylish. Some of you, you know, right? Whatever the thing is that God wants to use you, don't shy away from it and operate in obscure humility. Embrace it, but always respond to becoming more with humility. And then you don't stop there. Go back to commitment. All right, we're going to study the word of God. We're going to go to new depths of intimacy with the father. All right, so I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to pray. We're going to take a break and come back here. Um, how long of a break should we take? Because I went a little long, but we also started late. Okay, we'll take a 10-minute break. If some of you choose to go to another workshop, God bless you. I'm so glad I met you and got to see your face. Uh, connect with me on social media. I'm pretty good about that. Instagram is probably the easiest. Um, Facebook's a little trickier because I get friend requests from people that I don't know on and it takes me a few minutes to figure out if I really know them or if they're trying to raise funds for some... Uh, you know, for a diamond cartel in, you know, some obscure country. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for these amazing, wonderful youth workers, Lord, whether they're volunteer, paid, bivocational. Lord, I just pray momentum on their ministries. God, I pray that you would multiply their efforts. God, that you would multiply their energy, that they would receive something here. Whether not, Lord, not just from this workshop. I'm talking about from the, 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 the main sessions downstairs, or just simply from connecting with other leaders, God, that would be a seed that would grow into something beautiful and amazing to bring glory and honor to your name in their ministries. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast at the Red Culture Leadership Podcast. I just want to give a shout out to Josh Wellborn uh, for coming and speaking at Merge. Thank you for giving us a wealth of material and resources that we can take home with us. And thank you, leaders, for listening, and most of all, the investment that you're making into our students all around the state. So I speak on behalf of all the Red Culture team and just want to say we love you guys, and we can't wait to see you at our next event. And once again, thanks for listening to the Red Culture Leadership Podcast.